Hello, my Rebels. I've got great news for you today. Three legal victories. We're in so many fights. you got to mark the victories when you get them. Let me tell you all about them. But before I do, let me invite you to support us, because by God, we need the support if we're going to fight these battles. If you go to rebelnews.com and subscribe, you'll become a premium member. You get access to what we call Rebel News Plus. It's the video version of this show and shows by Sheila Gunn-Reed and David Menzies. And, um, you know, it's eight bucks a month, so it's actually not a lot of dough. And if you buy a year's worth in advance, it's only $80 for the whole year. So that's a, that's a discount, obviously. Uh, so it's not that expensive to you, but boy, it makes a difference to us. So please consider becoming a Rebel News premium subscriber. Okay, here's today's podcast. Tonight, three legal victories for Rebel News. I'm very excited to tell you the details. It's July 14th, and this is The Ezra Levant Show. Why should others go to jail Why? when you're a biggest carbon consumer I know? There's 8,500 customers here, and you won't give them an answer. The only thing I have to say is my friends, we're in so many legal battles, not by choice. We're a media company at our roots. That's all we wanted to do is tell the other side of the story. It's even our motto. We're journalists. We have people who work for us who are editors and writers. That's what we want to do. But in this age of censorship and deplatforming, and even political violence from the left, so much of what we do is just defending that first project. So project number one at Rebel News is to do journalism. But project number two, and it's almost as large, is to fight for the right to do project number one, to defend ourselves against nuisance suits, against censors like Justin Trudeau and others. And actually, these days more than ever, to defend against tech companies censoring us. We've branched out that second project. Now we help strangers. For example, our Fight the Fines campaign, helping people who've been given nuisance tickets by the pandemic police. You've seen some of the crazy cases. Well, these battles sometimes feel heavy. They make us a little bit weary. And most of all, they just plain old cost money. Our number one expense at Rebel News is our journalists. Our number two expense more even than our monthly rent, more even than any other costs like electricity or utilities, is the cost of lawyers. I'm sorry that's the case. But every once in a while you get a victory and you know it's worthwhile. The first victory that really made us feel that we were on the right track came last October when we had a long shot appeal to the Federal Court of Canada asking them to order Justin Trudeau's hand-picked Elections Debates Commission to let our reporters, Kean Bexty and David Menzies, into the debates. Our lawyers said, oh, it's an uphill battle, but we went in anyways knowing we had to do it. And wouldn't you know it, we won. It was an outstanding case of David versus Goliath. It cost us $18,000, but wouldn't you say that was money well spent? Just a reminder, here's one of the questions that Kean Bexty put to Justin Trudeau, foreshadowing how the blackface fiasco of Trudeau might affect his international campaign to be put on the UN Security Council. 
Of course, the media party thought, oh, it's no big deal. Kean knew differently. Take a look at this. Hi, Mr. Trudeau. Since your multiple use of blackface became an international scandal, Canada's international reputation has been irreparably harmed. Have you reached out to any African leaders or any leaders from the Middle East to apologize for your conduct? Canada will continue to engage in a positive, constructive way around the world, standing up for human rights, uh, engaging uh, with leaders right around the world, because we know that uh, promoting our values and uh, prosperity for everyone around the world is good for Canadians and creates better opportunities for everyone. So that didn't answer the question at all. Have you spoken to any African leaders or leaders from the Middle East to apologize for your personal conduct? Uh, I have continued to engage with leaders around the world in a responsible way during an election campaign. My focus is connecting with Canadians, as I was able to tonight. And I was very pleased to see so many of the questions turn to the environment. Yeah, that's a question that would have been illegal had we not gone to federal court to fight for the right. Well, since that time, we've ramped up our public interest litigation. We got a lot on the go, and it is a heavy bill. I just got a bill today for another $29,000 in legal fees. I can assure you we, are, we do our best to keep the cost down, but usually we're fighting a David and Goliath battle. We right now are in two other lawsuits against Justin Trudeau. The first is an appeal for a judicial review of the Debates Commission. That same Debates Commission that kept Kean and David out last year, they're still operating. They're still planning to run the next leaders' debate in an election that could come as soon as this fall. It's important that we continue to fight, and we are. There's another way we're suing Justin Trudeau. Every day he has these uh, press scrums outside his house at Rideau Cottage, and he's banned us from those too. We're going to court for the same right to be ordered in to allow to those question periods. So that's some litigation we're doing, but we have three cases that all came to a good result on the same day. And I decided I was gonna make my show about it. I've been so busy dealing with those things that I'm actually doing today's monologue sort of unscripted. The first piece of news is personal. It's about my book, China Virus, how Justin Trudeau's pro-communist ideology is putting Canadians in danger. You might recall that we tried to upload this book in April and Amazon shut us down and we were quietly working behind the scenes. We appealed, we hired lawyers. I didn't want to make a fuss about it because I just wanted the thing to be uploaded. Finally, two weeks ago, it was. The book went on Amazon and it instantly became a bestseller. It went up to number one as Canada's top-selling e-book on the Kindle player, and it went up to number two as a paperback. That's what I'm holding in my hand right here. It was doing great. It had over 400 reviews, average rating 4.8 out of 5. So people seemed to like it. And then suddenly at 4.48 p.m. on Friday afternoon when businesses were shutting down for the weekend and Amazon knew we couldn't do much about it, they sent us this bizarre email saying that the book was being deleted because, quote, official sources didn't like it. <laughs> what does that mean? Does that mean Justin Trudeau didn't like it? That communist China didn't like it? That the World Health Organization didn't like it? Or that Amazon itself didn't like it? Amazon, a company that's worth I don't know, about a trillion dollars in market capitalization? Imagine if they got their tentacles into China itself. Oh, they'd think nothing of nuking a book that criticized China if it would ingratiate themselves with Xi Jinping. Well, we'll never know who those official sources were, even though our lawyers asked. 
we went to sell the book on our own website Friday afternoon, and we did. But today, I received word that Amazon is letting our book back on. So far, they've only put the Kindle ebook version back on, but we're advised that the paperback version will be up later tonight or early tomorrow. Now, this is still outrageous. They still haven't given us a proper explanation. And in fact, they only replied, well, they didn't actually reply, they only put the book back up when a reporter for Breitbart.com, Alan Bokhari, reached out to them asking about this. They were afraid that if Breitbart.com did a story about this, that perhaps a U.S. senator that's critical of Amazon would make hay about it. So they actually never wrote back to our lawyers. But they were afraid of Breitbart.com, so they let the book back up. Amazon is a disgrace. They value China more than our liberties here in North America. They're monopolistic. They're putting other companies out of business, and they wanted to censor my book. They did. Were it not for a strong ally in the form of Breitbart.com, the book would still be illegal on that site, even though they continue to sell Mein Kampf by Adolf Hitler and the Little Red Book by Mao Zedong. So that's victory number one. I'm not sure if I'm going to call, call it a legal victory, even though our lawyers were involved, but it's a victory nonetheless. So we will be returning to Amazon. Story number one. Story number two comes out of Calgary. I mentioned our FightDefines.com campaign. Well, our very first client, our very first case that we took was that of a street preacher in Calgary. We've had him on the show occasionally over the years. His name is Arthur Pavlovsky. And he is exactly what he says he is. He preaches not in a bricks and mortar church, but on the streets of the city to the down and out, to people who are so lowly that they're actually not even allowed in official homeless shelters. Maybe they have a substance abuse problem. Maybe they are misbehaved in other ways, but they're still human beings. And Arthur sees the spark of God in everyone. And so he goes where the social workers don't, and he literally feeds the homeless on the streets of the city. That seems to be a pretty Christian thing to do in my mind. Well, Arthur was doing that earlier this year, and what looks like about a dozen Calgary police said, you stop that right now. That's an illegal gathering in the middle of a pandemic. Arthur said, we're not having a party here, officers. We're feeding the homeless. But they got even more aggressive. Here, take a look at this video footage that was shot by someone who was out with Arthur feeding the hungry. This is not a event. This is not your picnic in a neighborhood or the fun of it. We are providing necessities of life to those that you and your bosses refuse to provide. You got all kinds of events happening right now. And yet, the Calgary's finest are not bothering them. This is the hypocrisy of this city. This is the hypocrisy of our wonderful, fearless leaders. Where is Nahat Nenshi, the mayor of this city? Can you guys stand back for me a little bit? Whoa, 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 whoa. On your eight feet, stand back. Okay? Or what? You're going to threaten me and abuse me? Just an outrageous ticket. I can't even believe they did that. By the way, a second pastor in Calgary was given a ticket for the same thing. We're still fighting his case, but I'm very pleased to say 
that yesterday I received news from our Calgary lawyer on the case, Sarah Miller, that uh, the charges against Arthur Pavlovsky will be dropped. In fact, that was confirmed in a letter from the Crown Attorney. It's outrageous that it went as far as it did. It's outrageous that we had to spend over $2,000 in legal fees to stop something that should never have happened in the first place. I'm so proud that Arthur stood up to fight. Too many people would have just bent over submissively and paid the fine to be done with it. Not Arthur. But it was you, our viewers, who funded the lawyer that finally got the Crown Attorney to blink. So I'm calling that victory number two. And again, we had to spend $2,000 for it. You might think, well, why not just pay the fine? The fine was less than $2,000. It doesn't make sense to spend $2,000 fighting a fine of $1,000. Well, it might not make commercial sense, but it makes moral sense. We have to take a stand against this breach of our civil liberties. And I tell you, the day where police arrest pastors for feeding the homeless is a day that I'll spend $2,000 to avoid. So that's victory number two. Victory number three is a strange one. It's from the city of Kingston. You might remember that our friend David Menzies went there with our cameraman Mocha to film well, what was supposed to be a tearing down of John A. McDonald's statue there. Of course, the Antifa in Kingston isn't as muscular as it is in the United States, so they lacked the strength to tear it down. They were just going to throw eggs at it and things like that, otherwise vandalize it. David went there, and we sent a security guard along, just knowing that these days Antifa like to throw fists. Well, indeed it happened. The security guard did a pretty good job. I think that was when we decided to have at least two or four security guards thereafter, because take a look at how that happened distributing eggs and um oh excuse me ma'am no, oh why, why, why is that what, what makes me a racist ma'am okay we you know your own words because i just touch listened the camera, to you please. Please. don't touch yeah, me don't touch the do not touch me you do not touch the Sorry, camera you, you said we're racist why is that and use a lot of bad language not very ladylike language i must say i'm not a fucking lady get out of here oh, okay then what about yourself ma'am you were saying something as well i believe I said that I thought your, your speech was offensive and inaccurate. Oh, it was if, oh what, what did I get wrong? Uh, Kingston's motto is not where history innovations. Do you believe that removing a statue removes history? What would you call it? I would say that we're no longer celebrating a racist creep. The history doesn't... Time to go. What, what, what are you uh, pouring water on? Hey, excuse me. Time to go. Huh? Time to go. Time to go. Go. As you can see, Shoe, these people, it's a, it's a park, it's a public park. Do not push us. Time to go. Do not push us. We're get making our way out. Okay, no good. Get, get, get your boy out. Get your boy out. You're going to get egged. Get out. What, you're going to threaten me by throwing an egg at me, sir? Don't. Get out of here. It's a public park. It's, come on. Whoa. Let's move over. Oh, you're Let's a tough guy out. behind that mask, aren't you? Get out. Oh, and you too. Get out. Huh? Is this, this is your idea? That's cool. Get That's your boy. Cool. We're going to lose that camera, kid. We're going to lose it. Go. Go. This is, hey. hey. Touch me. Get Don't touch out. him. What are you going to do? What am I going to do? Yeah. Do Let's something. go. Let's move over. What makes us a racist? What makes us a racist? You can't even articulate yourself. Yeah, you can't do that. You can't punch or push reporters or cameramen, even if you don't like them, even if you find them annoying, even if you disagree with them, you cannot punch a 
reporter. But there were no police there. That was the strange thing. This uh, mob announced itself well in advance, and police made the strategic decision to defund and abolish the police presence right there. They literally chose to have the mob run free. I guess you can't have a riot with police if the police don't show up. They conceded the city to the bad guys. Well, David went there thinking it was still under Canadian sovereignty with our bodyguard, and he got roughed up. Well, we sent our video footage of the assault to the police along with a letter from our free speech lawyers demanding that the Kingston police investigate and lay charges. Now, we have said this before. We've said this in Toronto. Remember this footage of this man threatening and then punching our cameraman, Efren. We sent that footage to the Toronto Police Service over a week ago. We still haven't heard anything from them. But I'm delighted to say that in Kingston, Ontario, the police have taken steps. They ID'd who the criminal suspect was in this case. They arrested him when he turned himself into police. And I'm even more pleased to say that the local media has reported on the subject. Here's the Kingston Whig Standard, the newspaper of record. It's a story by Steph Crozier. The headline is, Kingston Police Charge Man with Assaulting Reporter. Pretty plain, isn't it? That's exactly what they did. A local 30-year-old has been charged with assaulting a reporter on June 20th in City Park. The outlet, Rebel News, sent reporter David Menzies. And let me end the story. On June 26th, police released photos and a description of the man to the public, leading to numerous tips. Investigating further, police were able to confirm the man's identity. And finally, the man was charged with assault with a weapon and mischief obstruct property under $5,000. He was later released on conditions and is scheduled to appear in court at a later date. Obviously, we will be there to report on that court date. And I'm pleased that the police caught him, arrested him, charged him, and will try him, although I get the feeling he'll cop an easy plea bargain. What I like best about this, besides the police action, is that David Menzies is accurately and fairly described, a reporter who was attacked by a left-wing activist. I mean, it's not a high standard to meet, but they met it. Now compare that to this story by Global News, written by Alexandra Mazur. Can you spot something odd in this headline? Take a look. Kingston man charged following altercation with Rebel News personality. Rebel News personality? Was it an altercation or did he assault David? Altercation makes it sound like it was a two-way fight. It was an altercation with a Rebel News personality. On, let me read from the story. Kingston police have charged a man after he allegedly shoved a media personality at a Sir John A. McDonald protest. You know that they don't spell McDonald right. Uh, there's no capital D in it. I point that out because that's the quality of journalism in global these days. But actually, it's not alleged that he shoved David. That's proved on the footage. The allegation is that it was a criminal assault. Shoving is not in the criminal code. This is very poor journalism. But look at this line. On June 20th in Kingston City Park, police say a protester poured liquid over a media personalities, cameraman, and equipment. What's with this media personality bit? Well, it comes clear in this sentence. 
Rebel News, a far-right media website, later identified the media personality as David Menzies. What are you saying? He's a reporter. You can't bring yourself to say that he's a reporter? We later identified him as David Benz. No, he, he wasn't a secret. His name was right there on the screen the whole time. Um, a far-right website. I've known David for 20 years. I'd call him conservative, but he's sort of like a common-sense conservative kind of guy. I mean, to call him a far-right media personality, how lame is global news? The lamest thing is, I don't know if you know this, but for years... David Menzies was a regular guest on chorus radio stations, which own uh, Global News. So they're calling their own reporter, who they happily had on their channel for years. Now that he works for Rebel News, he's not a reporter anymore, and he's far right. Global News is super gross, and you can see why Antifa loves the media party compared to us. But you know what? That is a legal victory even if Global News doesn't recognize it. So that's my story for today. Three pieces of good news. Amazon bent the knee, whether it was to our lawyers or Breitbart.com, I don't know. But our book is back up online as an e-book, and it's going back up as a softcover book, too. Secondly, the Crown in Alberta has dropped their disgraceful charges against Arthur Pavlovsky, the pastor who was given a huge fine simply for feeding the hungry and homeless. It was a disgrace that he was given that fine in the first place, but I'm so proud we beat the charges for him without a trial. I would have loved that trial, by the way. And the third victory is that after our lawyers wrote to the Kingston police and provided our video footage, they managed to find, arrest, and charge a young thug in that city. That's a victory. It proves we stand by our reporters and we stand up for the rule of law. And even though Global News is snarky and snippy about it, I want to tell you this. When we defend the right for David Menzies to be a reporter without being punched or shoved or kicked, we're actually defending the right for all reporters in, country, in the country, even the disgraces at Global News. You're welcome. That's my exciting report. Stay with us. More ahead. Welcome back. Normally, of course, we have an interview in this part of the show, but I, I just had to change gears today. We have a new rebel. We got a new rebel reporter. Uh, we only just met her recently. We brought her to Toronto. We all met her and said hi and got to know her a bit and vice versa. And last night, we rolled out her first video, her debut video, and it's great. And she's great. And the response so far has been great. I just checked. The video I'm about to show you has more than 60,000 views in less than a day. An overwhelming 90%, 99% like to dislike ratio. So for every person who says, nah, I don't like it, more than 100 say, love it. Over 1,500 viewer comments, overwhelmingly positive. Take a look at this. So I figured since David Menzies has been having so much fun covering the protests over on the east side of Canada, Actually, scratch that. Maybe it's not always fun in games, since David and some of the other crew members have been assaulted for covering such stories. But nevertheless, I thought it would be a good idea to highlight what a protest out here on the west side of Canada is like. 
I'm Drea Humphrey with rebelnews.com and on Sunday afternoon approximately 50 people took to the streets of Vancouver, BC to protest the pandemic lockdown. This is part of an ongoing No New Normal protest that meet weekly. Protesters held signs in opposition to things like masks, contact tracing, lockdown restrictions during a march that started at the Vancouver Art Gallery. The No New Normal protesters want businesses, schools, churches, sports and community centres to be fully open and they definitely don't want to be forced to wear a mask. The protest marchers attracted a lot of attention from public and some of it ended in peaceful disagreements. But not everyone there was opposed to the protests or the protesters' message. Numerous vehicles passing by honked in support, as well as one pro-Trump black man who told me he was stranded in Canada during the coronavirus-inspired border controls. I asked him about Black Lives Matter, Canadian media's obsession with hating Trump, the pandemic new normal, and what he thinks is behind the new societal discord. I think you're really gonna enjoy or be blown away, I'm not sure, and what he has to say. Check it out. Okay, so you were just walking right by the protest and you kind of just said, hey, those are my people. Right, absolutely, because I've been preaching the truth, uh, realizing that this whole COVID situation is all bullshit. Um, let me mic up. I'm sorry, I'll just hold it. Okay. Yeah, I've just been realizing that this whole COVID thing has just been all bullshit. Um, propaganda, uh, ways for them to continuously keep these borders closed. Uh, the whole lockdown just had a whole effect on our whole, our whole immune system, our whole, our whole health. And, um, you know, they just want us sick and what perfect, the perfect timing with this election coming up in November. Um, and now like I'm an American citizen. I actually been stuck here in Canada since this whole situation has transpired. Yeah. So, okay. So you're seeing both sides of everything, right? What do you think about Canadians' obsession with hating Trump? What do you think that's all about? It's the propaganda. Um, and I really think that I would advise people to use, for me, I didn't really know too much about politics, but what I seen was there was a couple of times there was headlines saying Trump said this, Trump said this. And after thoroughly investigating and watching the video or whatever it was, that whatever media or content was being promoted, and uh, I actually got to see what Trump was actually saying it wasn't whatever the headlines were being pushed. So for me, I've never seen in America, honestly, in all my life, I've never seen, um, and, not, and not to be, not to put labels on it racist, but white media attack a white man so much. I've never seen it ever in my life. So I think that obviously there's something that he must be doing right because, you know, these people own all the, all the major media outlets. And, um, you know, I know that they put they put propaganda out just for people to believe this narrative, that narrative. But if people do the research and just and, and just dig a little deeper and have an open mind that they'll realize that, like, you know, Trump is actually for the people. And um, I think that just, you know, America has just pressed this narrative that I think that, you know, people just assume like people, you know, most people are sheep. It is what it is. You know, I ain't here to play no games. But I feel like most people are just sheep and they fall into this into this way of thinking because that's how most people think. So right. I just I just my, my advice is for people to just do your do your due diligence, do your research, um, just dig a little bit deeper and kind of block out the noise, the white noise, 
and everything that you've heard and just kind of be informed, be informed, be informed for yourself. Not like being formed based on what this person has told you, that person has told you, um, but just do your own research and, and, and have an open mind and discover your own opinion. Right. And then what about Black Lives Matter? Do you think that ties into any of all this? No, or? but Black Lives Matter is government. Black Lives Matter is, uh, uh, what, what's, what's homeboy's name? Um, Marxists? Or? No, 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 uh, 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 George Soros, government, Boule, like, so, Black Lives Matter, the, the, the movement has been hijacked. It's not, the, you know, the movement has been infiltrated. So, um, and, and, I, and then when you really look at it, you know, what Black Lives Matter only when it's police brutality? Black Lives Don't Matter when them six children got murdered in Chicago on Father's Day? Where, was, where were they at then? They wasn't out marching and protesting and, and this and then, but Black Lives Only Matter when it's a you know, when it's a form, when, when it's a police taking a black life, but not when another black person is taking another black life. So that whole movement is bullshit and it's just a form of distraction to keep people, keep us distracted and to keep more, more, uh, more separation amongst the people to keep us, keep us divided. Divide and conquer is a simple yeah. war tactic. For Rebel News, telling the other side of the story from the streets of Vancouver, I'm Drea Humphrey. Well, what do you think? That's Drea Humphrey. What do you think of that? I think she comes across as an old pro. I had no idea that she, I mean, she sounds, she feels like she could be hosting the evening news. She's so smooth and articulate. I just love her sound and her style. But most importantly, her substance. She tells the other side of the story. That was a great debut video. That's our motto here, telling the other side of the story. I tell you, you would not see that content, CBC, CTV, Global, because they just can't tell that other side of the story. We do. I'm very excited about the fact she's not politically correct. She, and she met a gentleman on the street by random. She was down covering a protest. And boy, did he have some words, eh? That, that is what The Rebel is about. She's in Vancouver. There's so much news in Vancouver. Sometimes we cover it by flying a reporter like he and Sheila out to Vancouver. Well, it's better to have a Vancouverite cover Vancouver. And I'm sure she will and do so splendidly. I'm... It's, it's thrilling to me to have our team grow with such a strong talent. And uh, I hope that over time we all come to love Drea as we do Sheila, Kean, David, and the rest of the Rebel team, including Raheel Raza, our chairman of the advisory board, who does more and more videos too. So there you go. I'm very proud and huge viewership of that video, which tells me, boy, she's really connecting with audiences. Stay with us for more. Welcome back to my monologue last night on the Washington Redskins. Maria writes, as a Native American, I could care less. I'm more concerned with the domestic violence my Native sisters experience or the missing Native women, things like that. Exactly. I, you know, there's a phrase, the Indian industry. And I, I heard that phrase 20 years ago, and I first thought it was a shocking phrase. But I've also heard the phrase, the poverty industry. What does that mean? It's the same sort of thing people who make a living off of poverty, people who sort of like poverty, and if it were ever to be eradicated, they'd be out of a job. And I think the Indian industry is a thing also. Commissions, lawyers, bureaucrats, they actually don't want to solve the problem. They like the perpetual motion machine. You can tell someone who's an Indian industry 
Indian or a real help my community Indian in about 30 seconds. Guys like, like Chief Clarence Louie of the Associates Band, they're all about let's make jobs, let's get businesses, let's have our people improve their lot in life. All they talk about is economic development. They don't waste time bitching and moaning and talking about ethnic grievances. I, not that they aren't sensitive to those things, but it's not their obsession. Compare that to the folks who would make the Washington Redskins their obsession. How about you take 10% of the effort you put into demonizing the Washington Redskins and actually go volunteer on an Indian band or as they call them in the States, an Indian reservation. Yeah, no, that's actually too icky, isn't it? Tim writes, what few take into consideration is they gave their teams those names to honor Native Americans because they were viewed as strong, powerful, and brave. Their ancestors were fierce warriors, and these teams wanted to channel that into their play. Exactly. You don't name your team after something weak. You know, there's not a football team, the mice, go mice, squeak, 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 go mice, squeak, squeak, squeak. You know? And the only cats that teams are named after are like lions or tigers, you know? I mean, you name your sports team after characteristics that you admire. No one names their team something condescending or diminishing. And you're so right that Indians of various descriptions and tribes and bands were regarded as not just strong and powerful, but having some romantic, mysterious attraction. It was praise. I mean, perhaps it's out of fashion, but it was all done with the greatest of intentions. On my interview with John Carpe, Dan writes, you are correct about John Carpe, Ezra. He's a stand-up guy with courage and integrity who possesses a measured self-control and common sensibility, who is very presentable and a great role model. Well, I'm a super fan. I think I was gushing a bit yesterday. I think I made him a little uncomfortable, frankly. But I want to tell you, after I got off the interview with him, I went on the website, and then I actually called them and I bought tickets to that October 1st event. So if you do too, I will see you there. I like to support John Carpe, but I actually really want to see Rex again. All right, that's our show for today. Until tomorrow, on behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters, to you at home, good night, and keep fighting for freedom.